in Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, when we were chatting about kind of the preaching schedule and when, I, when it would be my next time to speak, um, I had an idea on my heart and I was sharing it and um, got to last week and I felt just a little bit uncomfortable with the topic that I had originally thought about preaching on. And I, I expressed that to Connor, and he was like, it's okay, we're going through a chapter in Ephesians, or we're going through Ephesians, so you can kind of just take the lectionary text and, and speak on that. I was like, oh, great. So I look at the, ex- I look at the lectionary text, and it pretty much bang, bang on lines up with the topic that I had had in my mind. And I was like, okay, Lord, I, I, I hope and pray that you are on this. So <laughs> um, this morning's message is called Hello, Stranger. And the passage of the lectionary text that we are going to look at is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And what I want us to look at this morning is how we are called as the body of Christ to relate to the stranger. How as a church are we called to relate to the foreigner, to the refugee, to the immigrant, to those who are seeking asylum? What does it look like for us as the body of Christ to minister and to reach out to those people? And so I just want us to read the passage. We're going to read a section of the passage first, and then we are going to pray and get into it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Would you pray with me? Father, we open our hearts and we open our minds to you right now, God, and we desire that you would speak. Lord, I thank you for the song that we we sang earlier, that we want to go deep inside of your heart. And Jesus, we, we come before you right now as a body, as a people. And Jesus, we just desire to hear from you. We desire to hear what, what I pray is on your heart, God. So I ask, Lord, that my words would be in tune and in line with your spirit. Holy Spirit, guide my words, and may this word be an encouragement, a challenge, a blessing for your people that we might express you to the world around us. Consecrate this time. Help us to be rid of distractions and and help us to really key into what your spirit is saying. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I'm sure that many of you by now are already familiar with this picture. This was taken earlier this spring 
at the Mexico border crossing where this mother was being checked or stopped for crossing into the United States. Um, Early this spring, the U.S. government announced new measures to criminally prosecute more people trying to enter the U.S. illegally. Many people from Central America, countries like El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, have been experiencing increased levels of violence and hostility and have been traveling great number of miles, primarily through Mexico, trying to get to the U.S. border in search of refuge. And earlier this spring, there was a new zero-tolerance initiative that the U.S. government embraced, essentially saying we need to criminally prosecute more people who are trying to enter the country illegally. Now, what's happening with this issue is that a lot of the unintended consequences of this decision is that as these people are trying to cross over the borders, is that as adults are crossing the borders, Lots of them are bringing with them their children, and as they're being prosecuted as criminals trying to enter the country, they are now being separated from their children. The United States Homeland Security estimates that upwards of 2,300 kids from the time of the beginning of May to the beginning of June have been separated from their parents. Over 2,300 kids in less than a month have been separated from their kids. Some have been taken to that, like, these are, they're, they're not taken to some faraway land. Sometimes they're taken to an orphanage. Sometimes they're taken to safe houses and things like that. But nonetheless, they have been separated from their families. And at the end of June, uh, there was an executive order given to essentially say that though we're not going to stop the zero tolerance policy, we have to stop the separation of families. And a number of, a number of children have been reconciled with their families since, the, the, since this event has been taking place. But this is happening right now. Now, there is much happening in this story that I don't know about, and there is much that I, just to be frank, I don't completely understand either. My point in sharing this story is not to incite controversy or division, nor is it to be political or provocative for the sake of it. My goal is not to educate you on the nitty-gritty details of American border law, <laughs> or, nor is it even my opinion to state what I think about Donald Trump. That is not my point here. That's not my point at all. But as the church, I believe it is so important for us as the body of Christ to look at the issues that are surrounding us today to, and to look at them dead in the face for what they are and to look at an issue and to take time to really sink into it and think about it and then with the Spirit's leading, delve into the scriptures to say, okay, God, what do you think about this? And how am I to respond to the crises and to the difficulties that we are facing in our world today. What are we supposed to do about that? My goal in sharing this morning is simply to ask us as the body of Christ, what should our response look like to the stranger? What should our response as the people of God look like towards those who are seeking asylum, who are refugees, who are looking to help to flee, fleeing their difficult situations? And more specifically, 
as Paul instructs us in verse 11 of this chapter, he says to his church, he says, I want you to remember something. He says this in verse 11. I want you to remember, remember some things. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. There's three things that I want us to look at and to remember, to remember as we look at these crises, as we look at these difficulties that we are facing in our world today. And the first thing is, is that we need to remember who God reveals himself to be. We need to remember who God reveals himself to be. As followers of Jesus, we believe that God has fully revealed himself in the person and the work of Jesus. Whatever idea we have in our mind of what we think God is like, how he responds, how he reacts, what he thinks, what his character is like, we take our cues from Jesus, amen? We take our cues from Jesus. These passages, I want to briefly read them. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. He, that being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him were all things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Or Hebrews 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. I love that verse. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Whatever God's nature is like, it looks like Jesus. It's the exact imprint of what he is like. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And what I, what I love so deeply about Jesus is that when Jesus came to this earth, when he reveals what God is like to us, he didn't reveal God, he didn't come down into humanity and not be willing to get his hands dirty. He entered into humanity and fully embraced the human experience. He didn't come as royalty. He didn't come as a, as a prince, as a king, and just live a life of lavish luxury, never having to spend time with the poor, never, never relating to the problems and struggles of the world. He comes into the depths of what it means to be human. In fact, most of his life, Jesus was a blue-collar, regular working-class carpenter. He would have known what it was like to get blisters on his hands and calluses from working long hours and what it would be like to have a sore back after a long day of work. Jesus knew what that was like. He understood and can relate to all of us. But what is so interesting as well is that Jesus not only relates to the working class person, he also relates to the refugee. Because if you remember early on in Jesus' life, Jesus was a refugee. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had, uh, 
ascertained from the wise men. Joseph encounters an angel in a vision and says, you have to take Jesus and flee. Jesus understands what it means to be a refugee. Jesus understands not only what it means and what it feels like to be a blue-collar, hard-working insider. He also understands what it means to be a violence-fleeing refugee and a stranger in a land that isn't his. And if Jesus is the image of God, if Jesus is who God reveals himself to be, we have to take seriously the cry of the refugee. We have to take seriously the call of, what it, of the asylum seeker, those who are seeking to flee violence and look for a place of refuge. And I love what this passage says in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Moses speaking to the people of Israel. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Did you hear that? He loves the sojourner. He loves the person who is traveling without a home because he knows what it's like. He actually enters into their situation. That's who our God is. We need to remember at this time, as conflict and chaos swirls about us, we need to remember, who does God reveal himself to be to us? We need to remember this. The second thing, that's the first thing. The second thing we need to remember is we need to remember who we once were. We need to remember who we once were. In the very next passage in Deuteronomy 10, Moses tells the people in light of who God is that this is what you need to do. This is 18 verse 19. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. He calls the people of Israel to remember who they were. Remember who you were. And you notice this is what Paul does as well in our passage from this morning, Ephesians 11 and 12, chapter 2. Therefore, Paul says to the church, remember, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a great way to encourage the church, hey? <laughs> remember, you hopeless pagans. <laughs> Why does he do this? Why does Moses, why does Paul, why does he look at his people and say, you need to remember who you once were? Why? Why does he do that? I personally think that as human beings, we don't always have the best memory. Especially when it comes to things that we might care to forget. Especially when it comes to things that we would rather leave in the past. And it's sad how as people, we tend to repeat. We tend to repeat the same mistreatment, the same hardship, the same afflictions that people have afflicted us with. We seem to forget our freedom from that. And oftentimes, if you look at just a little pattern of human history, we forget that. And then we start, 
We, we stop being the victim and then we become the oppressor. And you can just, you don't have to read the Bible very long after they get into, after the story, the children of Israel get into the promised land. It's not very long after they have been freed from slavery, freed from oppression, freed from these things, that they start inflicting it on other people. You don't have to read very long in the scriptures to start seeing that happen. What's interesting, even in the New Testament, when Peter in Acts chapter 10, when he has the vision with the angel who says, rise, Peter, kill and eat, take these things, and there was this invitation that you're now to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. You're called to bring the gospel not just to the Jews, but to everyone. Everyone is included in this. And Peter goes and he has the first um, non-kosher meal (laughs) as a Jew. And he sits down with Cornelius, this Roman official, and the Holy Spirit comes and these, this whole family gets saved. This is recorded in Acts 10. What's so interesting is that in, in Galatians, written a little bit later, Paul tells us that he has to go to Peter and he has to confront him to his face because he is refusing to sit with Gentiles. Do you see how quickly we forget? Peter has had this radical experience to say, wow, the Gentiles are in. But then for fear, what happens, there's this Jewish people who are like, I don't, we don't really like that these Gentiles are getting in without having to get circumcised. And they start pressuring Peter, and Peter gets scared, and so he starts to exclude them again. And Paul tells us in Galatians 2, he says, I had to go to Peter in his face and confront him, because you're not in step with the gospel. You see, what happens is we, we tend to forget who we were. When, and when we forget who we were, we repeat the same cycles of sin and dysfunction and mistreatment on other people once we get a leg up. Right? It's like, if we're at the bottom rung of society, let's say we're barely making minimum wage, and we, we're relating to people in minimum wage, and we're like, man, if I ever get a first-class job, man, I'm going to remember what it's like being down here. And then we get a huge job, and then we get a huge raise, and we get, we get a promotion, and then all of a sudden, we forget about the low, we forget about those poorer than us, right? We tend to forget And Paul and Moses are saying to the people, remember who you were. Remember who you were. This is not to bring up shame. This is not to cause guilt or a kind of manipulated thing, but it's it's to evoke compassion, to evoke mercy, to remember, hey, at one point in my life, I was lost, but now I'm found. At one point in my life, I was without God and without hope, and now I have hope, so I get to share that. I don't get to withhold that. Does this make sense? Paul, he's telling his people, I want you to remember. You need to remember who God has revealed himself to be. You also need to remember who you once were. And then finally, we also need to remember who we now are. We need to remember who God has revealed himself to be, We need to remember who we were, and we need to remember who we are. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And then it will read to the end of the 22. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to you who are near." For through him, we have both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The gospel of Christ now not only makes us one and united and reconnected with God, it also makes us reconnected with one another. This is the good news. The gospel actually has the power to break down the walls of hostility that we see in our society today. Okay? Like, <laughs> like, when I look at the world, I hear, I just see nothing but like division and strife. And there's walls being built up between different people. And there's this increased polarization in our world where this is our camp and this is our camp. And there's all this division and hostility. And Paul is speaking to us today saying the gospel breaks that down. The gospel actually breaks that down. The gospel, yes, it connects us to God. It, it, it reconciles the bridge that was broken between us and God. But it also, it also restores the bridge between us and each other. That we don't have to see people the way that we once saw them. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, we no longer regard anybody in the flesh any longer. We, don't cho we choose not to see people the same old ways. We see people through Jesus. We see people through what the cross has done. And what the cross has done, Paul here is saying, is it's made one new man. It's made a new humanity. It's made a new way for us to relate to one another. It's made a way through forgiveness and love that we don't have to keep building the same walls of hostility and saying, you're not in my camp and I'm not in yours and we're going to fight and we're going to bash this. All no, there's a new way of relating to one another through Christ, through love. This is the good news. It says that the cross has killed the hostility. He's, it's killed the solidity. It's broken down the walls that have separated us. And we must, therefore, we must apply the cross, the truth and the finished work of the cross, where the finished work of the cross is not there. We must apply the cross where there is division and strife. But I want us to understand this. I did not say we must impose the cross. We cannot impose the cross onto people. We've done this in the past. If you just take a glance at history, okay? We, we have to own the mistakes of our forefathers, of, of, our, of the church, of the past. We have to own that. Because in the name of the cross, there were shields and swords that said, hey, First Nations, 
you can either come here and join our side or we will slaughter you. That is imposing the cross. And that is not what we are called to do. The finished work of the cross reconciles us to God, but it reconciles us to each other, not because we impose it upon people, but because we apply the truth of the finished work of Jesus into brokenness. We apply the truth of the cross. We apply forgiveness. We apply mercy. We apply radical love and sacrifice where there is brokenness. That is the good news. This is how we apply the cross. We do not impose. We do not force or manipulate. We lay down our lives so that people can be, so that there can be reconciliation. We forgive and we, we let ourselves be crushed so that there can be a, a, a brought back together. Jesus has done this. It's not something he's going to do in the future. He has done this. He accomplished it on the cross. Therefore, by faith, we as the people of God, we say, if that's what he's done, then how do I apply this? We apply the cross in love, in sacrifice, in mercy, in giving of ourselves that we might actually that we might actually see a, a people formed in one image. Because what happens is when, when we choose to see one another by race and sex and culture and all these other things, I understand that there are cultural distinctives to all of that, and I don't want to disrespect or disregard that. We have to love people where they are, but when we love people sacrificially with the love of Jesus, what's going to happen is that the cultural boundaries and the identities that form is that they no longer become that important in Jesus. Here's what I'm saying practically. It's really important, let's say, it's really important that as we minister, say, to minorities, to those of different cultures, different colors, different persuasions, it is really important that we just don't say like, oh, I don't see color. I don't see color. That's really disrespectful off the hop. It's really disrespectful off the hop. But what we can do is we can say, you know what, I'm white and you're not, and let's start there. <laughs> I had a conversation with one of my clients yesterday in, in, uh, in the city where I work, and she's from Uganda. And I just, she, like, she's, she was black, like so black. It was just like, it was like, wow. She was a beautiful woman, but it was just like, it was so profound, like so, such a deep color of black. And I was like, wow. This is really cool. And so we started having a conversation. The most insensitive thing I could do at that point was be like, oh, I don't see color. It's like, she's a, she's a black woman <laughs> in a world of white people. <laughs> this is how she identifies herself, primarily. And it's insensitive me, of me to be like, oh, I don't see color. Yeah. It's insensitive. It's not helpful. But... In love, in relationship, in sacrifice, in, in building an actual bridge, because I don't, because in Jesus, I don't see those lines anymore. I don't see those lines anymore. Okay, I understand as a Christian, we can sometimes be like, well, I don't see color, I only see Jesus. I understand what you're saying, but from their end of things, it's really disrespectful. Okay, it's really disrespectful towards the minority's perspective. 
And what we have to do is we have to meet people where they are, love them where they are at, and as the relationship builds, we begin to see that all the cultural and gender and identity things that we begin to form about ourselves, in Jesus, they're not that important. And it's not about getting people to our side, it's about joining people where they are. Does this make sense? Because Paul says, I no longer regard anybody according to the flesh. But he also says, to the Jews I become like a Jew, to the Gentiles I become like a Gentile, to the weak I become weak, to the strong I become, he is willing to go everywhere and become all things to all men that he might win as many as possible to Christ. But he's not looking at it through the, okay, I am now ministering to an aboriginal person, I am now ministering to a black person, I am now ministering to a white person. That stuff is gone. But he meets them where they are. Because Christ in Jesus, the walls of hostility have been broken down. They have been killed at the cross. I didn't say it, Paul said it. (laughs) Those walls have been demolished and we can now apply the cross, not impose it, apply it through love and mercy and grace and peace. And we can actually begin to see a new humanity come.